Nowhere to run, ain't got nowhere to go. We've been looking at the life of Daniel, and that basically sums up his life, that uh, he's stuck, he's trapped. He and his friends, there's nowhere to run. At 15 years old, he was, uh, in a sense, became a captive of his, as his home city of Jerusalem was destroyed, as his parents were most likely uh, killed, and then he's taken to Babylon, and he's put in a uh, redoctrination program, and they want him to serve the uh, serve Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom there, and uh, he's he's just stuck. And yet, at the same time, what's amazing about Daniel and his friends is they can live in that place, live in that culture, and they can navigate through it. Uh, they don't conform to it, but they're not demanding at the same time. Somehow they can engage, be a part of it, point to God, stay who they are, and, uh, and, and do that. It's just, it's just an amazing thing. They just don't survive their captivity. Uh, they, they thrive in it. And, you know, for the rest of us, if we're really honest, and we may not like to hear this, but most of us uh, conform. Most of us uh, fit the mold that uh, whatever is trying to be put on us. Uh, we, 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 just, we just naturally have that bent. We start becoming like the people we're around. We, we, just, we just conform. Likes, dislikes, all of that stuff just happens naturally. So, so for Daniel and his friends at such a young age, not to, to go down that road is just amazing. And again, you, you may say, well, no, I, I'm, uh, I don't conform. I, I don't do that. I'm my own person. And, and I, I kind of beg to disagree with you. Sometimes uh, there are the people that say they're not conforming. And uh, I know as a youth pastor, I would find that there were these group of kids and they were non-conformist conformists. In other words, they conformed to what it meant to be to be a non-conformist, so they were actually conforming. And uh, we used to have this group, we used to call them uh, granola kids. It was back in the day with Tevas and rag socks, and that was the cool thing. And now sometimes I do that, so it's not cool anymore. But anyway, it was the cool thing, and they kind of looked like modern-day hippies, and they kind of did their, did their thing. And there were these non-conforming conformists. Now as an, as an adult, uh, working mainly primarily with adults, you know, you know they're still there. They're still these non-conformist conformists. You may say, well, I don't conform. But then when you start to look at your life, you conform to this few people that don't conform. And uh, it just continues to go on. Because again, we have this bent to kind of lean in and just conform to whatever's going on around us. And again, that's what it makes so amazing about Daniel and his friends. They kind of are able to navigate that. Now, you may say, I'm still not buying this, but, but I, I think you'll buy it after this. Just watch this. It may be a little bit old, but uh, watch the this. The gentleman in the elevator now is a candid star. These folks who are entering, the man with a white shirt, the lady with a trench coat, and subsequently one other member of our staff will face the rear. And you'll see how this man in the trench coat... <laughs> to maintain his individuality, but little by little, he looks at his watch, but he's really making an excuse for turning just a little bit more to the wall. Now, 
Now we'll try it once again. Here's the candid subject. Here comes the candid camera staff, three of them at least. And uh, this man has apparently been in groups before. <laughs> a fella with his hat on in the elevator. First he makes a full turn to the rear and Charlie closes the door. A moment later, we'll open the door, everybody's changed positions. <laughs> now we'll see if we can use... See if we can use group pressure for some good. Now, in a moment, on Charlie's signal, everybody turns forward. Notice they take off their hats. And now, do you think we could reverse the procedure? Watch. Try it sometime. We are natural conformists. Doesn't matter if you're a convinced Christ follower. Doesn't matter if you're a great um, skeptic and you're still trying to figure out if any of this Christian stuff, God stuff has any relevance to your life or if you're somewhere in between. We all naturally conform. And uh, it's hard not to. It just, just kind of go that way what we purchase, what we buy, what we think is important. And uh, we could go back in time and look at things that were very valuable to all of us 10, 15, 20 years ago and uh, just look at clothing. We'd say, yeah, I would never wear that again. It's just, we, ju we just naturally conform. And in, in our situation, most of the times, our lives are not on, on, the, on, the, on the line. But with Daniel and his friends, his li life was on the line. And yet somehow they're able to navigate and, and not conform. They're able to stay true to who they are in their relationship with God and following God. And they're able to hold on to that. And they're able to you know, have their heads held high. And, and they don't make a big deal about it. They don't pick it. They don't do any crazy things. But they just kind of navigate. And, and actually, you know, again, they, they just don't survive. They just don't keep their head down. They just don't hide. They actually are out there. And somehow they thrive. The first couple of weeks, we talked about some of the amazing things. You know, Daniel 15 to probably in his mid-80s. And at every stage and age of his life, he, he navigates through that. So it's amazing that they do this. Um, if you need to catch up, all this stuff is online uh, from week one and how we uh, connect it all together. But this morning, we're going to look at a, at, a, at, a, at a story, at a situation. And it involves Daniel's three friends. We don't know where Daniel is. It's probably about 15 years later, and so these guys are now in their early 30s, and Daniel might be off doing some kind of uh, representing the, you know, Nebuchadnezzar some other place, and we find this uh, situation unfolding, and uh, we find that in Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. So if you want to turn there and that Bible around you, and if you don't have a printed copy of God's Word, you can take that Bible as a gift from Seneca Community Church. That's page 615. We'll also have most of the verses up on the screen, 
And uh, if you uh, have an electronic device, uh, Cindy mentioned that a little bit about Facebook, but you also can get this free app called Uversion, and you can put that on your phone, you can put that on your tablet, and you can have all Bible with you wherever you go. So just a number of ways to, to have that to, to follow along. So Daniel chapter 3, page 615. So we start in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits, that's uh, probably 60 uh, feet to 90 feet high, and six cubits wide. Again, six to nine feet wide. And set it up in the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. So he makes this unbelievable gold statue, and uh, he sets it up. And then we hear what he's planning on doing with this. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the provincial officers to come to the dedication of this image he had set up. And so he's got this statue. He's basically getting everybody there. And so they all come, and they all are there uh, to see it, and they sit, see what he set up. And some think it was a statue of him. And so they set it up to look, he's there, and then they uh, stood before it. And so they're standing there, everybody's there, anybody who's, somebody's there. And then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the music, and he lists all these instruments, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So you're about your business, you're doing your thing, and the minute you hear this music, you stop what you're doing, probably very inconvenient. Wherever you are, you stop what you're doing, and you get down and bow in the direction of this huge statue. It goes on. So that's, well, that's kind of pretty crazy. Obviously, Nebuchadnezzar is full of himself and wants to do this. Uh, he's not satisfied with just being uh, a world leader and having the greatest, strongest empire at the time. Uh, he wants to kind of move into the deity area, and he wants uh, people to think of him that way. And then he goes on and says, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as you hear the music and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language, no matter what your culture is, no matter what you're at, fall down and worship the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So whoever doesn't fall down is going to be thrown into this furnace. And some of you are, are familiar with this. So it goes on and uh, worshiping this image. And it's interesting that all of a sudden, we're going to see that when it comes to Daniel's three friends, they're not going in this direction. Uh, they're, they're not going to do that. Um, and so for them, it really is the heat is on. The heat is on for the pressure. The heat is on also because literally, if they don't do this, they end up in a, in a furnace and, and they'll be burned up to death. Uh, some of us are familiar with that uh, Beverly Hills Cop movie and the song, The Heat Is On. Uh, boy, let's see, how old? Now, let's see, it was, eight, it was the year I graduated from high school, back in, not 1884, but 1994. <laughs> and, uh, you know, way back then, but the, the main line of this, this song is this, the heat is on, the heat is on, the heat is on. It's on the street inside your head and every beat and beat so loud it's deep inside because the pressure's high just to stay alive. The heat is on. 
And all of us at times find ourselves in that situation where the heat is on, the pressure is on. For Daniel and his friends, it was conforming. It was, it was jumping in to, to, to what, they, what uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar wanted. Their life was on the line. For us, it can be all kinds of other things. Sometimes it's at the workplace. Sometimes it's at home. There's all these areas where the heat is on and the pressure is, is relentless. It, it never seems to, to give up. And yet, these three guys somehow are able to navigate through it. And what's amazing is they do, and then when you look at our lives, most of us are under heat, most of us have pressure, but it's not to that extent. We seem to kind of let it, it shape us a little bit, form us a little bit, but, but not, not with these guys. And again, these, these now are in their early 30s. They, they've been there for probably 15 years, and uh, they're, able to, they're able to just uh, go through this, and, and it's, it's, just a, it's just an amazing thing that they do. And, um, you know, so, so they, they are under this pressure. So the question for us is, when the heat is on in our lives, uh, what are we to do? Uh, what, what do we do when the heat is on us? When I'm in a situation, how do I, how do, I do that? Because, again, we, we may not be called to worship a great statue, but in a sense, we're, we're called and we're pressured and we're directed to set values that uh, are different and not aligned with God. And so, so how, do we, how do we handle that? What are, what are some of the ways that we can have the heat on in our life and have the pressure in our life? Well, one way is that we're enticed to worship uh, larger-than-life images our culture creates. Uh, we're, we're just enticed to that. We're, 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 we're kind of like directed to look at this and say that's what it's all about. Uh, sometimes it's with our celebrities uh, with, our, with our movie stars, with our, uh, you, know, you know, people out there, and we're saying that's the way to be, and we're, we're just called and directed. Sometimes it's, it's the sports where, where, where these, these larger-than-life images are set up, and we're called to kind of like be like them, do what they do, think what they do is okay, and it, it kind of like shapes us. It shapes what we wear, what we listen to, what we buy. Uh, that's the reason commercials work so well. You know, if, if, if I was on a commercial trying to sell something, you just go click, click. Well, you don't click anymore. You push, right? Uh, boy, that's old, right? That's back in 84. You clicked. They didn't even cl- or click the, the dial. But anyway, um, but, uh, you know, you, you, they, it, w- it wouldn't matter. But when you put some celebrity on there, I think the other day I saw somebody and I recognized who he was. And he was saying, you know, don't invest in in, uh, you know, the stock market gold, and he was talking about buying all this gold and all this kind of stuff, and, and you know, the reason you lean in and go, well, that might be a good idea is because it's this, this well-known celebrity guy who's doing it. So, uh, again, we're, we're, just, we're just directed to do it that way. Uh, power, um, you know, unless it's attractive, unless it's sexy, whatever it may be, we're enticed to, in a sense, worship those things. And, and it's not that we uh, make a statue and we, and we kneel down and worship, but in a sense, those ideas, those concepts preoccupy us. They own our mind and own our direction. And really, when we talk about worship, it's just not singing about God in, a, in the four walls here. It's really about making him a priority of our life, having him occupy our heart, occupy our mind, have him actually, in a sense, shape the decisions and the actions we make with our lives. And then, in a sense, we are worshiping. So our society has this pressure, has this, this, this heat's on to kind of go in this direction, and we're enticed to do that. And it's real easy to get caught up 
and all of that. And it's interesting, again, these three friends, they're not having anything to do with it. Now, it's just not going to shape their lives. Their lives are actually on the line. And uh, they, you go, why, why would they, why would they uh, stand up and not instead of bow down? Why would they do that? Especially when, uh, you know, everybody was doing it. They were not the only ones that were captives from Jerusalem. There was a whole, probably a few hundred that had been taken from Jerusalem 15 years earlier and had been in this indoctrination program for three years, and then they were released to go out and do this. And we see them, in a sense, being the only three that, that, that won't do it. Why, why do they not do that? And it's basically because of two words, command and consequences. Command and consequences. Uh, they, they knew what God's word said about putting something else first. And God commands for our affection, our goals, our desires, our whatever, not to be primarily in all this stuff. It's to be directed towards God. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy things. It doesn't mean we can't be the best that we can be. It doesn't mean you can't have a nice car or or whatever, but we can't be preoccupied with it. That can't be the goal and direction of our lives. And in Exodus, we read about this. You shall have no other gods before me. And again, a lot of times we go, well, no, that's not for me. You know, it's not like I have this little statue or this little shrine or this thing. But there are some things that you and I all have. I have to sometimes identify them that start owning me. And anything that owns me, an idea, another person, a thing, has just slipped into the place of worship. So uh, whatever that may be, whatever that may be, sometimes it's, it's, it's our own bodies, or sometimes it's ourselves. Everything's about that, and it owns us. And it's really a fine tipping point because you can have some nice things. You can have nice things going on in your lives. You can have people that you really love in your lives, and that's important. But there's this moment where all of a sudden it owns you. And when anything owns you or me besides God, if we're a Christ follower, if we're not, that, that's a whole different uh, ballgame. But if, if we claim to be following Christ, and, he, and he's in a few moments we're going to celebrate that he gave his life for us. He bought our lives with the price of his own life. If, he, he, if he's bought us, he then, in a sense, owns us, but he doesn't force himself on us. But out of love and respect, we should let him own us. So we have to really watch that needle it's too bad there wasn't like a little needle, you know, you could get this, who owns me in this moment watch, you know, and all of a sudden it, you know, God, no, 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 your car, no, 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 your job, no, 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 your spouse, no, 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 your kid, you know, you know, you know, whatever it may be, and it just goes, goes back and forth, we don't have that, but there's this tipping point where all of a sudden uh, something owns us. Now, what's also interesting about these three guys is they definitely are intelligent because they knew this. They knew this command, and they also knew the consequences of not following it. They were living the consequences. That's why Jerusalem fell, because the nation of Israel, Judah in particular, the southern kingdom at that point, because the northern kingdom was already gone, but the southern kingdom uh, was following other gods. And over and over and over again, God would remind them through prophets that uh, this is the command and this is the consequence. 
And they go, yeah, yeah, no, 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 that doesn't, that's, that's really not what that means. That's, that's, that's a little overboard. That's, you know, uh, yeah, the tipping point, yeah, it doesn't matter. But, but it, was, it was consistent enough that the consequence was that Jerusalem fell. And now Daniel and his friends and many others, the whole nation, suffered because of the actions of the parents, the consequences. And so the, these were smart boys. They're saying, wait a minute. We're in Babylon, we're stuck here, we're trapped here. There is this promise that someday there'll be some of us that go back and will re-establish the kingdom and, and all of this stuff, but a consequence from worshiping other gods is that we lost our freedom. And so because of that, we're certainly not gonna bow down to more gods. Some of us have had this happen in little segments of our lives. We've, we've started to worship something. It, it owns us. Doesn't, you don't own it anymore. And all of a sudden, there are consequences. Uh, some of us have debt because something owned us more than it ought to, and we had to have it, we had to buy it, and now we're still feeding that thing every month, and, a, and there's, there's consequences. And in Daniel and his friends, or Daniel, did not want to get stuck in that again. So, so they're, they're not bowing down. It's better to face the king and not be owned by something else than be owned by something else and, and get spared the furnace. And what's amazing is none of us in this room, I don't believe, are facing the furnace. These three guys face the furnace, and in a sense, God wins because that's who owns their hearts. So this command and consequences, so key. There are so many places in our lives where there's a principle, where there's a direction, where there's whatever, a promise, and it's in a command form, and we think somehow we're going to actually be able to circumvent the consequences. It, it doesn't happen. These, these guys are an example of that. And then again, what's amazing is they've learned the lesson. There are other expatriate folks. They haven't learned the lesson, but these three guys have learned the lesson. Because when you think about your life and you think about, again, the pressures, the heat's on, the heat's on to go in a direction where other things besides God owns your heart, owns your direction, owns your passion. And we need to be aware of that. And the consequences are not pleasant. They're not always immediate, but they're not pleasant. And then some of us have to live in the ripples of that. Daniel would live, you know, 70 plus years in the consequences of that. Because it was 15 when it happened. Some of us will live the rest of our lives in the consequences. Doesn't mean it's not grace, but we had this moment, we had this time where we, we went in a certain direction and we let that lever pull and now that situation owns or has a part of us. And, and it's, just, it's just, just the way it's going to be. Uh, another place that the heat is on is we're tempted to create a false image of myself to impress others. Uh, we're, 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 we're not going to worship something else, but we're in a sense we're worshiping ourselves. We create a false image of, of who we are, and it's all out there to, to, present, to impress others, and it, and it just captivates us, and it's because our image captivates us. We're worshiping ourselves, so we present something that we're not. 
and uh, sometimes in church circles a lot, th- this is a problem. We, we present, we create an image of somebody that we really aren't. We, we, we get caught in this thing, and it's because we, we don't want anyone to know what we're really not. We're, we're playing games, and so we're trying to impress people. Uh, sometimes we can uh, recite a lot of information, but it really doesn't have a grip on our heart. And we know all this stuff, and, and we're just, we want to present. We want to look like we have it all together. And that doesn't mean we don't want to be just falling apart all over the place, but, but we create an unreal image of who we are. Uh, last winter, we talked about this whole fake book thing and um, fake status. Uh, and you can, you can actually find this, I think, on our um, YouTube page or YouTube, you can find this message. But we, again, talked about this whole idea of creating a fake image and, and what we do with that. I love, well, I really don't love what Dave Ramsey says, but it's so true here. Uh, when it comes to finances, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And, uh, you know, that, that's kind of like an epidemic in our country. We do things a certain way. It doesn't really add any value to our life, but we just want somebody else to think of us just a little differently. So it creates not only the way we spend our money, but the way we spend our time, uh, what we do with our, with our lives and, and all of that kind of a thing. Um, my favorite uh, guy who really demonstrates this is a guy named Stanley. You probably remember Stanley, but it's only uh, 30 seconds, so you've got to put up with Stanley. I'm Stanley Johnson. I've got a great family. I've got a four-bedroom house and a great community. Like my car? It's new. I even belong to the local golf club. How do I do it? I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can barely pay my finance charges. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. Somebody help me. Poor old Stanley. That makes us laugh and that makes us cry because many of us in this room have done what Stanley's done. And again, it doesn't have to be just financial stuff. It can be all kinds of work decisions, all kinds of things, the way we interact with others. We present this image that isn't real. We have a pride that doesn't own when we stumble, and it creates all kinds of problems. Uh, another way we feel the, the, the pressure is uh, we get burned as I don't bend in with the culture, or as I don't blend in with the culture around me. And, you know, it, it's hard doing the right thing. I'm not talking about being one of these activists that pickets all the time, but uh, we kind of blend in. It's interesting to me that uh, Daniel's three friends, every time the music didn't play, that would be a great time to go to the bathroom, right? Oh, the music's playing. Oh, I was in the bathroom. Sorry, I missed it. You know, so no one sees, you know, that I wasn't taking a knee. But no, these, these guys are right there out front, and uh, we blend in. Uh, and when we don't blend in, it, it, we get burned. Uh, people don't like that. Uh, you know, Daniel's fellow workers at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, these three guys. Uh, they said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes uh, people, when we do the right thing, like to burn us. And they also like to bring us down. And they sometimes like to get our jobs. And that's what's going on here is that, that uh, they're doing the right thing. And uh, they, they just, they just want to burn them. And sometimes when you and I do the right thing, it definitely makes other people angry. So I go through this whole situation, this whole scenario where uh, your majesty, this is what you've done. Uh, they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of the gold you've set up. Uh, you, you know, and just, and just really let them have it. And uh, you've been in those situations where you've done the right thing and others have come down on you. 
And again, because you're not blending in, you're not blending into the culture of the place you work, uh, you're letting things get swept under the rug, whatever that may be. Uh, Paul talks about this idea of blending in, rather, or not blending in, or not conforming, when he says this. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Now, that doesn't mean you don't engage the culture, but it does mean you're always thinking. You're asking yourself, what does this mean? How does this reflect my faith? Does it reflect my faith? Is it negative? You, you ask yourself. You just don't have a list. You actually have to be engaged and not check your, mind, your brain at the door. And, and you ask yourself, you know, how adjusted am I? am I? Am I out of phase a little bit? All of us, if we're following Christ, because our culture's not following Christ, should feel a little bit of rub, should feel a little bit of tension. It's kind of like a low-grade fever that's just kind of all there because, in a sense, you and I should be living differently if we're following Christ than somebody who's not following Christ. Because we don't fit into that culture, it, it should bother us. But we should, we should think about that. It goes on, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. I love being changed from the inside out. I just don't want to be an external person. I want my inside to change. So as I interact with my world... The natural response is the response that I think God would favor, God would be pleased with. So I want the inside. I just don't want to put on a garment of following rules and not have my heart there. I want it to reflect who I am. So God will do the inner work, the heart work, so that the external is natural, not a veneer, not, not put on. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Recognize, know him well enough, uh, dive in so that you know who he is and what he likes and how you want to please him because he's loved you not to earn his love. And then you know what he wants and then you know how to respond and you respond quickly. I love looking at some of the Old Testament people that would respond quickly. I love when Jesus calls Matthew, he responds quickly. For me, sometimes I don't respond quickly enough. I hesitate, and when I hesitate, some of the moment uh, is gone, whether it's to honor God or whether it's just to be on a different side of a consequence, and I hesitate a little bit. It's not because I don't know. I just hesitate. I don't trust, and then whatever that was is gone, or now I live with the results of, of not responding. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Some of us don't buy that. Some of us don't think that following God in relationship with God, responding quickly to him, actually brings the best out of him. We actually think it limits our life. It hurts our life. But the opposite is true. When you and I are pressured and under the heat of it, to, to conform, and we haven't really thought about it. But then when we do think about it and we realize this is out of alignment with God's preferred will for us, all of a sudden we discover it doesn't take something away from life. It actually brings something to life. It actually brings the best out of us. I already said this earlier just a couple seconds ago, but doing the right thing will always make somebody angry. Doing the right thing. You don't, now, you don't do this on purpose. You're not an agitator. But sometimes, or many times, you do the right thing. It will make someone angry, someone at work, someone in your home. 
You're doing the right thing, and someone gets ticked off about it. You just have to, you just have to realize that you're going to get burned when you don't blend in. And then, if you take it even to another level, anytime you challenge anyone's ego or pride, expect anger. It's just, it's just going to happen. And I'm not saying confront someone. I'm saying just, just, challenge, just say, is there another way? Is there another way to do? I, I know sometimes just by doing the right thing, it's challenging someone else's ego and pride. And you see this is what happens with Nebuchadnezzar. And we're just getting into this. In two weeks, we'll finish this uh, story. But, but you, see, you see that he just comes off the rails. Uh, he gives him a second chance, but then he comes off the rails. Why? Because they're chall- he's, he's become really full of himself. Uh, he's really, in a sense, uh, stuck up. And uh, when we're in this situation, uh, you know, there's going to be like three kinds of people. Uh, Rick Warren talks about this. There's those that are just uh, stuck up, and they're, they're stuck on themselves, and it's got to be their way all the time. Uh, there's no bending. They're just, they're just full of themselves, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the, these three guys are going to get burned by that. And then there are the, the other uh, peers. Uh, there are other people that they're uh, working with, and, and those are the kiss-ups. And, and we have those always around us. Those who really don't have maybe a moral compass, they just know who's the top dog, if you will, and that's the lead they follow. If the stuck-up person's there and they want to go this direction, they just kiss up and go right along with it because they think they're going to get less resistance by going that way. And then, of course, there are those that uh, stand up. I like to also think of they, they stand up, but they also they stand out. Not stand out in being a weird way. There are too many weird Christians out there that stand out for weird things. We can talk about that somewhere else. But, but uh, maybe in your community groups this week, what's weird and what's not weird? There's sometimes where we're known for just being weird. Please don't be known just for being weird for the sake of being weird. Make sure the things you're standing up for or standing out for are real things to stand up for or stand out for. And um, these, these, three, these three guys in their early 30s, uh, decide to, to decide to stand out and stand up. And again, as I already mentioned, you've got this this uh, part here where uh, you know Nebuchadnezzar is just furious with rage. Uh, he, he gives, "Why won't you do this?" And they're thinking command and consequences, and the consequences of not following your lead. Nebuchadnezzar uh, is not as dramatic, even though it's my life, as not following God's lead. That's what's important. Uh, he gives them a second chance. And uh, talks about you know being released from that, and uh, you know they're in this they're in this dilemma. And then he says, then you know what God will be able to rescue you. It's interesting that uh, God that Nebuchadnezzar says that, but at the same time he he stokes the fire seven times hotter just in case uh, God's going to show up. You know God maybe if it's regular heat, God won't God can do something there. But if it's seven times as hot, uh, maybe this God can't do anything. But uh, obviously we know that that doesn't work. So real quickly, what, what, do we, what do we do? What do we do when we're in this pressure cooker? What do we do when the heat's on? How do we respond? Just three uh, quick uh, takeaways. Uh, the heat cools when I focus on a few things. And uh, first of all, uh, we've been talking about this as obeying God instead of conforming. Uh, if you want the, the heat to cool a little bit in your life, if you don't want to live under that pressure of conforming, all the time, you've got to get to the place where I'm going to obey instead of conform. I'm going to understand the command. I'm going to understand the consequences, and, and I'm, I'm going to fall along with that. 
the, the three guys say, you know, we don't, we don't have to defend ourselves in this matter because we know that obeying is where we're at. We're not going to conform, and uh, we're not, we're not going to do that at all. Um, jumping right along to the next one. Uh, we need to trust in spite of what I see. Uh, we need to trust in spite of what we see. Uh, sometimes we're in these situations, and it, it, it's clear what God wants us to do or not wants us to do. And, but in our world, it doesn't, just, it doesn't see right. It doesn't, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And uh, his friends say, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. So they're just sitting in motion. He, they, they, he may not save us, but he's able to save us. That doesn't see, as you look at the situation, doesn't seem right, but I'm going to trust in spite of what I see. And that cools down the heat. They're not frantic. We don't see them uh, getting all scared and, and, and getting crazy and, and all this kind of stuff. They're just matter-of-factly. And then the next one is that they embrace their responsibility and let go of the results. And often as a Christ follower, we're called to embrace the responsibility that God has put in our path, and then we let go of the results. And there's a lot of times where one plus one on paper doesn't seem like it's going to add up to two. It just doesn't seem like. These three guys, it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen for them. One plus one, they're, they're, they're going to get burned. But they say, our responsibility is to understand commands and consequences. And we're going to let God take care of the rest. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, all of us are going to find ourselves under the heat. All of ourselves are going to find us in pressure, in a pressure cooker. And we're going to be pressured to conform. We're going to be pressured to go a different direction than we ought to go. But Daniel's friends give us that example. They say, they can survive, they can stand up underneath it. I love what Isaiah says. When you pass through the waters, not a good thing, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You see, a faith that stands can stand up to the heat. But it first starts with a faith that stands. You and I don't have to give in to those things. I don't know where you are in your life, what, what pressure you're under, where the fire is, uh, what heat you're underneath right now. And it's just, it, it's, just, it's just, it's really hot. But Daniel and his friends give us an example of three guys that are able to stand up underneath it because they stand in their faith and then they can stand up to the heat that they have. We'll pick up and talk about the rest of this, this story in, in two weeks. Let's pray. Grace Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of these three young men. We thank you for the way that uh, they were able to navigate through the waters of, of being pressured to conform, to do what everybody else was doing, to behave like everybody else was doing. But, but somehow they, they were able to navigate and they were able to stand up. And Lord, I pray for my friends in this room, and I just ask that each one of us, whatever pressure we're under, where the heat is in our life, 
would be at a place where we can stand up underneath that. Help us to start with that faith that gives us a strength. It doesn't mean we're not going to be scared. It doesn't mean it's not going to be uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that we're not going to face the anger of, of somebody else. But help us to be strong in faith so we can stand when we're under those pressures. We thank you that you promise to be with us and not let the waters sweep over us. So Lord, help us to hold on to that. Help us to lean into that wherever we may be. We ask this in Jesus' name.